Hi listeners, I just wanted to issue a quick heads up that a portion of this episode contains a discussion of abuse. If you'd like to avoid that topic, please skip the discussion of the second song, You Like Me Too Much, by skipping ahead about 23 minutes. One, two, three, ah! Welcome, 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 everybody, to Ranking the Beatles. My name is Jonathan Priedis. I am your host over here, over to my left, your right, depending on where you're sitting at home, (laughs) Uh, my illustrious co-host, the radiant, the wild, the lovely Miss Julia Priedis. Hello. How are you? Pretty well. How's your week been? Uh, Busy. Yeah? Busy. Lots of work to get done. I feel like for as many people who are like, I'm so bored during this lockdown, because we're still pretty much in lockdown. Um, I don't feel bored. I feel like I'm busy as hell. Well, we're 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 lucky enough to have retained our employment. This is true. So that's um, we're we're knock on wood. Yeah, we're very lucky. Um, so I have sort of transitioned to heading up the recording for classes for the yoga studio where I work. So that kind of, I just sit at a computer all day and like edit classes and answer emails and things like that. So I stay fairly busy. Yeah. Um, so, but weekends are nice. I get to hang out with you and, uh, and do these podcasts and do these podcasts. Yeah. And a little laundry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is going to be a, a really good episode today. Um, we've got a gentleman on the show today. Uh, he is a musician slash DJ slash music curator. That's what I'm going to call it. Uh, Currently lives in Nashville, Tennessee. He previously lived in New Orleans, where our paths crossed many, many moons ago, as our respective old bands used to play shows together. Little wee Jonathan. Little wee babe Jonathan. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He currently plays in a band called Vista Blue. Uh, They are a power pop band, and a book released in France recently ranked uh, the 100 best power pop bands. And lumped Vista Blue in with bands like Big Star, wow. uh, Bad Finger, Blondie, Teenage Fan Club, uh, Fountains of Wayne, and as they called it in the uh, the book synopsis, which was in French, and I translated it, they called them the Weezers. I love it. So I'm, they're on the same page as the Weezers. Okay, one, that's amazing company. Yeah. Two, I'm absolutely calling them the Weezers. Not going to lie, <laughs> I'm slightly jealous that I'm not in this book. <laughs> Um, he is also, uh, if you're from New, if you're a New Orleans listener, you may remember he used to be in a band called the Robinsons, as well as uh, Sally Stitches, and also a band called the Loblaws. Um, he is currently the uh, the host of the Radiant Radish Radio Show on 107.1 FM Radio Free Nashville, which you can also hear on Podomatic, um, which is a podcast uh, platform, not the one that we are on. Although I think we might be on it. I don't know. I just hit submit and then we're good. Um, and the Radiant Radish is also an independent record label. They recently released a tribute to Fountains of Wayne uh, songwriter and bass player and co-main dude Adam Schlesinger. Co-main dude. Co-main dude. <laughs> well, there, there, there were two. It was the band was started by him and the singer Chris. Oh, they are the two main songwriters. Saying. I yeah. was like main dude of what? <laughs> <laughs> no, they were the two like head guys of the band. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, he recently headed up a tribute to Adam Schlesinger. 
Um, and he also hosts a podcast called Snow in Southtown, uh, which is a Christmas podcast talking about all things Christmas. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Everybody, please welcome to the show Mr. Mike Patton. Woo! Welcome, Mike. How are you, buddy? Not the one from Faith No More. Not the We must <laughs> disclaimer at the top because we'll get Everybody angry emails it, so. from Faith No More fans. Ooh, I don't want that. <laughs> you lied. So we don't want that. Uh, but welcome to the show. Glad to have you here, man. Thanks so much for having me. Excited. Yeah. So um, let's go ahead and uh, let's jump into things here. So obviously, as I mentioned earlier in the intro, you are a musician slash how would you call it? I'm thinking musician slash DJ slash, dare I say, content creator or music yeah, I curator, I, I perhaps? Just, I do a lot of stuff. I blog, podcast, make music. Um, yeah, I'm a teacher. So actually, I'm a teacher, and then I just have time to do all this other stuff sometimes. So Nice. Okay. So from, from the, I guess, let's, let's, let's hop back to early little Mike Patton days. How did yeah. you first discover the Beatles? What first got you into the Beatles? Unless you just found them like a year ago. You asked me to be on the podcast. No, um, <laughs> I, you know, my dad was into like a heavy metal. And um, so I was as a kid going to concerts like I was five years old. I was going to like Florida to see Iron Maiden and stuff like that. Nice. So nice. Um, we had a lot of music growing up and um he, he like uh he would embrace anything i liked so i liked like rick springfield and ario speedwagon and so we'd go see them as well uh so the beatles were just you know known um i wouldn't say like worshipped in my house growing up though and so it's just something that uh once i really started getting into music on my own in the late 80s into the 90s that it was just everybody was saying there were this influence and so uh my dad had given me let it be on mm. vinyl that was like his brothers or something and he just had it so he gave me that so i know i had let it be pretty early um and then yeah i mean i guess just in college probably first or second year of college i just uh went to the bookstore like every other day they had cds and i was just getting every cd you know and, oh, and I figured good old out days, that i was man. getting like yeah, I was getting like the American version, so then I had to, you know, figure out the difference between the, the versions and also, yeah, probably like uh, '96, you know, is when I discovered so much music. It mm-hmm. was around '95, '97, you know, in between there. And that, I think that was a, I remember that being a really fun time to be a Beatles fan because that was like right when the anthology came out, so they were really back in like the top of the zeitgeist for a moment there, um, and right. getting that new stuff that you hadn't heard, all the unreleased, you know, outtakes and things like that was such a great experience as a young person who like I wasn't old enough yet to kind of like spend hours in a record store, digging through crates at bootlegs and looking at bootlegs and things like that. Um, so that was kind of a cool intro into that world for me. That was definitely a fun time to be a fan. I think of the Beatles. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I never did really jump in fully to the anthology. I mean, I have it all and, mm. and I've, I haven't even watched it all. Honestly, I have it. Uh, and I really, I really need to, you know, sit down and, and just need watch to carve it out all. 10 hours. Yeah. I'm telling, right. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and I flipped Which through it. I've seen now. a lot of it, but uh, it's just that that was sort of, like you said, that time was also when I was finding it all. So I was more interested in like past masters and, 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 you know, stepping away from the albums a little bit just to get to like singles and B sides. And, and then I got into their solo work. So honestly, I mean, the anthology is just something I've visited here and there throughout the years. Um, and I really had to go through probably half of those tracks, uh, to, to rank them, you know, for this show. So, right. <laughs> so that, so that is something I want to, I want to come back to in a minute, in a few minutes sure. is that, in preparation for this, you've done your own rankings 
Yeah, so I did a quick, what I told you was quick. At first I was going to do it, then I said maybe a I was A quick ranking up. of 200-something songs. <laughs> right, right. We'll so right, when together. I say quick, for me, it was like probably three or four hours, which yeah. you probably spent a lot longer than that on yours. Um, it's taken a while. But if I were doing it like myself to really do like a blog or a podcast, I'd probably spend like a month yeah. you know, to do this. Nice. So yeah, I spent like three or four hours. Just Like I said, I had to go through some of those anthology songs again. Um uh, and then I, I didn't spend too much time stressing about it. You know, I was just like, hey, it goes here, it goes here. So. <laughs> nice. Okay. So, you know, as a musician and, and a DJ and those sides of what you do, um, you know, especially focusing on power pop as a genre and things like that, you know, from both angles, how, how would you say the Beatles have impacted your work? Well, I think the Beatles impacted everything that I listened to from when they started, right? So, I mean, obviously there's Buddy Holly and, and, and Everly Brothers before them, and they pay tribute to all of that themselves. Um, but I think most stuff that, that I listen to and that I love today, whether it's Weezer or Oasis or you know stuff like that, obviously comes from Beatles and Beach Boys, and, and right. that's what I discovered in high school and college. You know? yeah. And so I think it impacts me, even though like you were talking about like with some tracks, and I was like, I, I don't have any tracks that I think are like just Beatles – rip off i think i rip off a lot of different things from a lot of bands um, <laughs> as all good power pop acts should but oddly enough i could find you like a ramones rip off i could find you weezer rip offs but like i've never just straight ripped it up but it's in everything i do i feel like yeah and i think i think that's kind of the the cross answer that most musicians give you know is even though you're not explicitly writing a beatles sound alike song there's something that works its way in there and i think that also extends like with new Orleans musicians, you lived in new Orleans for a time. You were in bands here. And while you might not sound like the meters or the Neville brothers, there's something you're pulling something from it in some way, even if it's more of an intangible thing, you know? And so that was for me. uh, So I lived in new Orleans. So I was 30. So the main bands I did there were were the Robinsons and and Sally stitches. And so the Robinsons were just like Weezer and Nerfurter, you know, pop punk, lots of harmonies, but just me on guitar. Mm-hmm. And so when I found uh, my friend Richard Bates, who was just such a great New Orleans musician, just one of my favorites right there with like Paul Sanchez and them. And um, he, when I saw him play the guitar, that's what it was. Like he said, it was like he, he brought, because he grew up on that New Orleans music. And that's when we started Sally Stitches to add him on lead guitar and to bring that. And in fact, he's on the Vista Blue 7 inch that we did at Arden Studio. We brought him up to Memphis nice. to play that lead guitar because, that, right, he just added, and we were doing a cold song. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wanted him to come to Memphis with us and he drove up and, and did it. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely know what you're talking about. And, and I feel like I, I don't represent it well enough, but I, I love it when people do. So. Do you guys find, this is kind of a question I have for, because I am not a musician, um, do you find that uh, sort of when you listen to things so much, like if you grew up in New Orleans or spend a lot of time here um, and you listen to so much New Orleans music, um, or I guess not New Orleans music, but New Orleans musicians like the Meters or like, you know, Alan Toussaint or something like that, do you find that you just sort of absorb those things and even if you don't try to incorporate them into what you create, they just sort of appear? Like, do you ever, is it is it more of like a purposeful thing or do you, do you find that like you listen back to something and you're like, oh shit, I really put some of this like flavor in there. <laughs> like, is it intentional or is it accidental? It's kind of what I'm curious about. I, so I go both ways and, and usually when I go to, to do it on purpose, it usually doesn't come out how I want it. So like, for instance, like 
I might have seen the Soul Rebels play a show and like, oh my God, the Soul Rebels just blew me away, right? Yeah. It's like, I, I need to kind of translate that into my pop punk. So maybe let's add like this chant part or something like that. And like my friends would never hear it and it might not come out that way, but it's like, that's what I was going, you know, when they go like, hey, I love that part, you know, where'd that come from? You would never know like, oh, I was at a Soul Rebel show and, and <laughs> yeah. it was inspired to add this, you know? Yeah. It, that's how it works I, for me. So. I, I think it's, in my opinion, I've always felt it's a little more subconscious. Um, I think in terms of playing, you know, especially for a drummer, you can have a New Orleans, even a New Orleans rock drummer is going to sit further back on the beat and be a little bit looser mm -hmm. than, uh, than other drummers playing the same kind of song. Um, right. they're going to sit a little bit further back and make it a little bit dirtier and a little bit funkier. Um, a guitar player is going to be a little more groove based than like a Ramones type thing. Um, so I think it's more just a it's more of a subconscious thing that you pick up. But at the same time, I think just about any musician here, you know, that 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 plays here that grew up here, you can say, you know, play me a second line beat. You get damn close, if not, you know, <laughs> if not right, right on it. Um, you know, it's just something that you hear so, so much. I think it just kind of soaks into your DNA and it just becomes something that's in your recipe. Yeah. Yeah. And you do a Christmas podcast as well, which I mentioned earlier in our intro. Um, and the last episode we taped was with Alex Rawls, who does a Christmas podcast. Um, I don't know. Do you know Alex? You guys, uh, you guys we should friends know on, each other. I think we're friends on Facebook. Uh, I had That's how, yeah, like I heard you on there. Tommy, our mutual friend, sent me that episode. Okay. Uh, you on his show, yeah. Perfect. Okay, there we go. So, that's, I remember yeah. that, yeah. Okay. We had, I think we had just started our show when Tommy sent me that. Yeah. Uh, and so ours is not just music. I think Alex's is just music, maybe. Yeah, it's basically right? just Christmas music. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so ours is movies and TV specials and music. So. I love it. I oh love gosh. it. I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> we are big fans of Christmas in this household. Yes. <laughs> Can't come soon enough. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and dive into the pool. Let's 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 hop into the rankings. You feel good about that? You ready? Yeah, sure. We're all stretched. Everybody's done the calisthenics. <laughs> all right. If I can please get a drum roll, Julia. Coming in at number 218 is Hold Me Tight. I need to get like a little like pizzazzy thing like for that. Right yes. <laughs> I thought you said, "Hey Jude" was two eighteen. Sorry. <laughs> you I know, was like what? No. I've, part of me is like, because you know that's one of those songs you've heard so many times. You're like, I could really put it in the two hundreds and not not think twice, but I know I'll get absolutely crucified. So. <laughs> well, so that's what I was wondering. So, for, so and maybe you've said this on a past episode, but at this point, you haven't released any yet, right? Uh, no, I'm looking to start releasing uh, after 4th of July. So would you say that you went on just like song quality, recording quality, uh, nostalgia for you, or just sort of all of the above? I think it's a little of all of the above, but I think the the main like crux for how I tried to, to rank it was like, what do I want to listen to the least? Right. Like... And it, it's it's really it's just personal preference. Like there are songs that, you know, like for me, I probably ranked things like um, "Slow Down" and "Bad Boy" 
way higher than people are going to agree with. But I just yeah. fucking love those songs. <laughs> like, right, right. I think those performances are so good and so unappreciated. And like, those are the ones that I nowadays tend to gravitate towards a lot more. Right. So, so for me, uh, I would say, yeah, it was definitely a combination. And I guess at this point, um, so you heard my daughter took over my show and played some Beatles songs. So, yes. so for her, you know, she's got her favorites. And, and so I wonder, like, if in my rankings, like maybe in the last 10 years, you know, I might have put one, like eight days a week. is like one of our favorites together. Mm-hmm. So I probably got that a little higher now than I might have 15 years ago, maybe. Sure. But, uh, so, so I guess all of that goes into it for me. My peak Beatles years was probably like 97 to 2007. That's where like every year I'd go through like a month or two phase of just going through everything, you know, right. like um, uh, reading all the books. Like, you know, I've got a whole shelf full of books and that's back when I was buying them and reading them and stuff. So again, it's been a little while and now my, my Beatles stuff is mostly like, uh, you know, putting albums on sometimes, but also like uh, going with my kids, mainly my daughter is into it the most. So yeah, uh, go through that, it with them. So. I think that's one of the great things about their catalog is like your favorites can change so frequently right. based on memory or emotion or feeling. And I'm fully confident by the time I'm done with this podcast, I could probably do a completely different ranking. Right. Like, because exactly. I feel like my favorites have changed over time. My feelings about things change over time. Um, so yeah, it's it, there's a great like fluidity to the catalog that I think is really special. So so when you first posted "Hold Me Tight" at two eighteen, I was like, "That's crazy!" You know, I was like, "This song, I lo- I love it." I was like, "This song could be top fifty. I was like, "It's definitely top one hundred. You know, now when I was ranking, I didn't want to have any bias, and so I didn't number anything. I was just like, "This goes here," this slotting them all in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came in at one hundred one. Okay. Wow. Okay. So it didn't. So it didn't make my top 100 after all of that that I was saying. It's right there. But okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, it's, I'm actually glad that I've joined this podcast from the beginning because some of these songs, like I honestly, all of the songs we've done so far and the songs today, like I've never really listened to them. You know. Yeah. And I'm. It's some of my reactions have been a little shocking, as we will find out today. <laughs> I, I can imagine. I mean, you know, I, I I was looking at it and I was thinking like, you know, the first 150, which is amazing, something to say. The first 150, I think, are greatness. I think that's where you would say this would make the career of probably all but maybe like 200 bands ever. You know, yeah. it's like any of these top 150 songs. After that, I, I'd say it's, you know, it's pretty, they're just goofing off in the studio sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, or it was those early cuts where it's like, what, on, on February 11th, 63, where they made a whole album, <laughs> you know? Um, it's like, they don't even the remember where they were doing that day. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I'd say the first 150 or so is where it's like greatness. But after that, sure, I could see people saying, this is not that great when you take it in the context of just one song. Right. And I think, I think, Hold Me Tight, I think, is one of those things where, you know, sometimes songs just don't quite click in the studio. It's like just a little bit of a little bit of backstory on this on the on the track. If if you're listening, you're not super familiar with it. Um, This is a song they first tried to record this uh, this track uh, for the Please Please Me album. They did 13 takes, then they scrapped it. Unfortunately, it was on that day actually that I said so. The February 11th, 63. Yeah, exactly. They, yeah, yep. so they were so think about that. They made that whole album except the first four sides that they already had, right? Mm-hmm. For the singles, yep. So 10 songs plus this and, and some other stuff that didn't make it. Yeah, only one. So, I mean, imagine having, yeah, imagine like, having that later in November or whatever, or September going, hey, let's pull that other song that didn't make it on right. the first time. Like, yeah. that's a hell of a batting average, you know, right? <laughs> so, you know, I, I think. 
you know, at the beginning of the song, it starts out pretty promisingly. I really like the groove of the song. I like the riff. I think it's an interesting kind of like little eighth note. Don't, 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 little chugging thing. You know, McCartney hops on the mic and he's doing that kind of like thing where, you know, you can tell he's like making eyes at the invisible crowd as he's singing, like <laughs> being the cute guy that he is, you know, doing his thing. So adorable. But then he starts singing and it's this thing where like the vocal is just so wobbly to me. Like, it seems like he has no confidence when he comes in. Um, his pitch is all over the place. I think John and George are doing their best to kind of prop him up with harmonies, but even they're not quite on the A game. I was listening to some outtakes uh, from this session, and I know Lennon's guitar is kind of right in the front of the mix on it. I don't quite, I don't think he tuned it before <laughs> he started tracking. Like, and I, I've also read that over that there have been times where he said that he would detune his D string so he could pick his guitar out on the track. He'd be like, Oh, you hear <laughs> that weird thing? That's me. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, I believe it. Yeah. That's a very John thing. Right. Um, so I think there's just like, there's a general out of tuneness to the whole track to me. Um, I think especially when you get to the bridge and Paul gets into the, uh, don't know what it means to hold you tight. Like his pitch is, all over the place on there. Like I kind of want right. to get the, like the multi tracks and just put it through auto tune. <laughs> um, and then by the end of the song, when they're finishing on the UUUs, like they're just, it's all over the place. And it's, I think it's one of the last times where imperfections like that, that are that glaring, make it through the, to the finished product. I think once they have the ability to, veto things and to like not watch the clock so much especially like paul who's a complete perfectionist he's not going to let that kind of thing get through going forward um so i think this kind of makes it like this weird like outlier of like not their best work getting onto the record and not even ter in terms of like not a great song but just like not even their best performance which and it also makes me wonder like how were the performances in february for the please please me record where that didn't make the cut, you know, like what's the difference on that? I, I would love to hear that, but none of that exists anymore. Yeah. Um, they said they destroyed those tapes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I think the playing on it is pretty tight. You know, it's got a nice groove to it aside from, you know, just sounding overall pretty wonky. And then even, you know, Paul is on record in his own biography saying that, you know, this was an, an early attempt to write a single that failed and became acceptable album filler. Like that's exactly right. like what he called it. Ooh, um, that's a that's a brutal way to describe one of your, your own song. Songs. And then yeah. and then in, in another book, he's quoted as saying, "Certain songs were just work songs. You haven't got much memory of them. That's one of them." And I think that's spot on. Like this is them going, "All right, well, we need fourteen for the record, so we have this one lying around. Let's let's dust it off and just knock it out." And that's kind of how I feel about it when I was listening to it. I kind of felt like it was like two separate tracks that were recorded. Like they put down this guitar track at some point, and then at some point they put down this vocal track, and they were like, oh, we need a song 14. Uh, we have these guitars over here, and we have these vocals over here. Just like smash them together. There's a song. Done. Like they don't go together for me. Like it doesn't sound like a song that was made. It sounds like two different things that were made and then just smashed together for just as a some, to have a completed something. Right. I can see. So that. Uh, it is two tracks that are put together, uh, right? It's like take sixteen and nineteen or something like yes. that. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, uh, or twenty six and twenty nine. But I think they skipped some numbers. Uh, but 
Yeah, uh, it's one that is everything you said is true. Even Lennon, if you have the quote from Lennon where he's like, uh, I don't remember it. He's like, that song was awful. Yeah, he was like, it. it wasn't a good song. I never I never paid too much attention to it. Yikes. And usually they're usually they're kind of trying to be nice. They'll try to be nice about each other's songs, you know? Not that one. Uh, <laughs> not that one. No, they both hated it. Um, it's one that everything you said is true. The imperfections are there, but it's one that I like the song so much that it's a time where, where they've got imperfections on a lot of records. Sure. Uh, this one, yeah, a bit more. But it's one that I just like the song so much. Uh, it's it's kind of like Please Please Me Junior to me. You know, it's like it's in that same vein with the with the call and call and response vocals. Uh, hold, hold, hold me tight, me tight. Yeah. And, and I just love that stuff. I mean, I love it all. So I can't say I like early Beatles better than later Beatles. I just love it all. So mm-hmm. uh I, just to me, this was always one that I always liked, always just sang along to. And, and uh, we were going to do um, a Beatles. It was like a 40 year tribute in 2004, 40 years, I think, from when they came to America. It was this thing we were going to host at Espresso Yourself in Chalmette. Um, and our drummer like broke his shoulder or something. So he, he we ended up not doing it. But we had it. That was and... that was your that thing you do moment. Drummer breaks his shoulder, bringing the new guy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, off. exactly. Yeah, we didn't know we didn't know enough drummers back then, so <laughs> we didn't want to risk it. But it's uh, always the challenge. We didn't, There's cancel, drummers. we didn't have canceling the whole event. Mm-hmm. Uh, we couldn't have fans to commit, but we learned we had learned ten songs, um, and this was one of the ones that, that we had learned for that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just one that I've I've always enjoyed. it's super simple. It's it, it is I can see to them thinking it's a throwaway, and if you read like critics' responses, I think the guy in Rolling Stone said, "What did he say? Something like it's it's the only thing." Uh, keeping something else from keeping, being uh, till there was you from being the, there was the you, most ghastly thing love. on the album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love till there was you. So it's like it, I think he said they're they're like worst moment in history or something like that. I don't know. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I don't. I I, I had disagree. you not heard Mister Moonlight? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> now what's interesting though is I think for all the fa- the faults with their version of this song, have you heard the Phil Spector version? cracked the code on it like he found he figured out how to make it a great song and it's it's a bit more r&b doo-wop in its arrangement but it's 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 great for what it is like he it's almost like they gave up on it too soon yeah i think that it's kind of the overall feeling it feels like they just kind of were like all right cool let's wrap it up like even the ending like is the most lackluster ending i think in their whole catalog where they just kind of do like a little bit of a retard and just slow it down and just all right we're out okay but it's like it's like you said. If they wrote it as an early single and they already had the two singles and the two B sides, and so they went in in February of '63 to knock out ten more tracks for the album, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the energy they gave it, which is because I mean, it seems like they gave the covers and the and the evening session way more energy than some of the originals, right? Right. right. And so um, and so if that's the energy they gave it, and then that's what they remembered, and then they just 
broke it out and, and, and knocked it out for the for the second album. I guess they I don't think they gave it. You know, I, when I hear it, I hear the song, and, and and that's what I like about it. So. Yeah. And to like bring it back to your please please me junior point. I feel like it would feel a bit more like that for me if the, I think the guitar part is what's killing it for me. I, yeah. I want it to be like a like a giant hollow body, jangly something in the background instead of just that like the just like yeah. Sure. It it just feels like the wrong guitar part. I think that's why it feels like two separate things that they just smashed together to make a song because to go with that vocal, I want to hear something that's like fuller and jangly and lush and you know something of yeah. that era i think that would make the difference for me for that i song. almost feel like had they played it a little more kind of open chord like a hard day's night it would have been more successful well so any of this and that's what i think i think that if they had done it either way that you two just pointed out and put it out as a single in 63 at any point or even early 64 i think that it's on people's list as, as a great single you yeah. know i mean i think yeah. that I, I think the song itself is everything that a Beatles song was back then. So yeah. other than maybe a little work on the, on the arrangement, like the end, like you said, I love the beginning. It seems almost like they kind of thought it up on the fly, but I love it. You mm-hmm. know, like how he just comes in with that line um, yeah. in the very beginning. So, I, yeah, I, I love it. I love the song okay. and, and I'm fine Bottom with the imperfections. Line. They were just tired. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, right. when you think about their schedule at yeah. the end of 63, like they're yeah. doing, you know, 300 shows in the calendar year, maybe. Plus uh, BBC sessions in the, you know, the day uh, studio sessions, you know, those no, guys are I, working harder than probably any other band. Yeah, I wasn't saying that to make fun. I'm oh, like, no, no, they no, were no, just, like at on. some point you're just like out of fuel yeah. and you're done and you're like, just get it, get the songs, just get the songs done. Like moving on. Yeah. I, I just need, I need a nap. <laughs> so I've got it at two, uh, two eighteen. You've got it at one. One Oh one. So we're ah, we're a ways apart on it, yeah. but that's the joy of this whole list is it's no wrong or right. It's just for the discussion. End of part one. Intermission. End of intermission. Part two. Well, let's go ahead and turn the page. So at 217, I have George Harrison with You Like Me Too Much. Though you've gone away this morning, you'll be back again tonight Telling me there'll be no next time if I just don't treat you right You'll never leave me and you know it's true Cause you like me too much and I like you uh, A track you wrote uh, was recorded for the Help album in early 1965 uh, this is the first time we see George get two of his own compositions on a Beatles album. Uh, this is the second one that we hear from him on the record. Um, the other one being uh, I Need You, which I think is maybe his first great song. Um, I think it's got some interesting chord changes to it. Um, and it sonically, it's that whole record is interesting because they kind of embrace this combination of acoustic guitar with the Honor Pianet, electric piano. Um, that's on a lot of that record, and then that it, it never comes back again. Like it's just on that record, right? Um, and so it's got some interesting parts on it. You know, as a track itself, it's not it's nothing great. It's not terrible. I think it's George trying to write a Lennon and McCartney song, 
it doesn't sound like what we come to see as a George Harrison song. And I think that's a task that's damn near impossible for anyone that's not Lennon McCartney. I can't imagine the pressure George feels trying to write, trying to keep up with those two. Right. Well, and then he tries to fit himself into that box and really shits the bed. <laughs> Julia's got some thoughts on this song, but I'm going to, I want to finish up mine if, if I can before, You're fine. since Go I'm ahead. already rolling. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I think there's some interesting chord changes on it. I like the guitar piano interplay in the solo section. I saw somebody point out that it's kind of like a dance in that when the guitar figure goes up, the piano figure moves down. When the piano figure moves up, guitar figure moves down. So it's kind of an interesting back and forth that I hadn't really seen it like that right. before. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, you could tell at that point like they were really George working Martin, to like George make the track that kind of work. Stuff. Like, yeah. how are we going to make yeah. this compete with everything else? Um, so right. that in mind, you know, it's not it's not a song I ever really like <laughs> willingly return to, or like it's not the one of the first things I ever pull up when I'm, you know, putting a mix together. It just kind of exists as an early effort for George, you know, A for effort, whatever. Uh, maybe not quite an A, though. Um, lyrically, it always struck me as kind of my, my initial thought was it was arrogant in the way that like Buddy Holly's That'll Be the Day is kind of arrogant. But as we were talking about it this morning, I think Julia kind of put the right. nail on the head. I'll let you kind of take over from here because you have a much more interesting take on it than <laughs> I think than I originally picked up. So uh, I did my first listen in the car while sort of reading over our show notes for today. And so I was only halfway listening and trying to pull out, like it, it felt, it sounded like something else to me. So I was trying to like put my finger on what it sounded like. And so my sort of pithy joke about the song was, this sounds like a song that the mamas and the papas would write if they were big fucking nerds that never did drugs. <laughs> Like the sort of layering of the vocals and, you know. And they love their drugs. They did. So, so that re- really, no. I think that really affected their sound. So like if we remove the, the drugs yeah. from the Mamas and Papas, I feel like this is a song that they would write and perform. Um, and then when I got home, I was like, let me give it a couple more listens. Because I really like to do a, a bit of a more deep dive into um, these songs, that, especially the ones that I've never heard before. And so I pulled it up and I'm listening to it and I'm really paying attention to the lyrics and I had a visceral reaction to these lyrics um, as a woman. (laughs) Um, And let me just, um, I have them pulled up. I want to read them really quick for our listeners that maybe haven't heard this song before. Or haven't haven't li- paid attention to the lyrics right. all um, that much. So it starts it starts out with, though you've gone away this morning, you'll be back again tonight. Oh, definitely. Telling yeah. me there'll be no next time if I just don't treat you right. Treat you right. You'll never leave me, and you know it's true, because you like me too much and I like you. Um, that is some sort of classic abusive language. Um, it really made me super uncomfortable um like i paused the song and turned to jonathan and i was like i'm sorry what (laughs) wow uh you're in you're in for a treat when you get to some Lennon lyrics around the same period then so i can only imagine yeah we haven't gotten there yet um so he's like we're probably gonna have this discussion a couple of times i'm like that's fair. Yeah. So the second verse says, you've tried before to leave me, but you haven't got the nerve to walk out and make me lonely, which is all that I deserve. Which, again, I pause the track. <laughs> 
And I was like, this is so classically like every self-deprecating man who, you know, this is like a pretty serious topic to get into on like, you know little silly podcast. Um, but I had such a reaction to these words and it made me so I was having trouble finding the words to like describe uh, this feeling that I as a woman know very well <laughs> coming from men. So I found this article on Jezebel. It's back from 2012, and it's actually in reply to another article written by someone else, uh, and it's by Hugo Schweitzer. And um, he says, uh, this disparagement of men in general and the self in particular has two enduring aims, to lower women's expectations and to diffuse women's anger. And I was like, yes, that's it. Thank you. Um, so sometimes men do this thing when you call them on their shit. <laughs> They're like, oh, I'm so terrible. You don't deserve me. And it's meant to sort of make women transition from anger and or frustration or, you know, whatever feeling they're presently feeling to this, um, like, the sort of common um, – feminine role as he says in this article like the the more traditionally feminine role of soothing male anxiety like quote i'm such an asshole i don't know why you stay with me um and i'm like that is such again like classic abusive behavior it's funny because when once you brought that up like it i thought pretty quickly about several people that we know who've been in relationships like this and when they when we've heard their stories it's this kind of similar thread has come up more than once yes um and, you know, it's, it's something I didn't even I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was that felt weird about the lyric other than just like it's a bit aggressive. Like it's a bit like I don't know, just seemed a bit arrogant for a guy who's known for being somewhat of like the quiet, humble one. Yeah. Yeah. Like the sensitive one. Right. Peace. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like he's sort of like the quiet, sensitive one, I feel like. And to. To hear the song and then be like, wait, this is George? This isn't John writing this song? <laughs> Which really speaks to your point of, like, he was <sighs> probably trying to write, like, a John or a Paul sort of love song and just really Fumbles the ball. It. Yeah, just <laughs> did not do it well. Like, didn't grasp that, like, sort of, you know, teen sweet love that they kind of capture, I feel like, on the early songs. He just, like, went all in for a, a, a little intense well, and it, it, you know it's kind of like the idea of like in a song where somebody says you know or even if you think of like george mcfly you know like i'm your destiny <laughs> like well i don't what the hell makes you my dead my destiny you know my density, my density. <laughs> <laughs> like not for you to decide dude get out of here <laughs> um you are my density <laughs> but yeah I, I i think that's really interesting and you know I, it's it's interesting the more you go back and listen to songs that especially in the rock genre that are kind of like gonna make you my girl you know like there's a very like underlying aggressiveness to it that <laughs> uh, you know is problematic and how do you address how do you how do you deal with that and uh, assess that in 2020 it's easy for us to sit here with 2020 eyeballs and ear no, it's definitely tough, yeah. <laughs> like i, I, I remember reading that. an article i'll have to try to find it and put it in the show notes um a few years ago <laughs> where and you and I, Mike, are are huge Weezer fans. Yeah. What's your favorite Weezer album? Uh, Pinkerton or yeah, yeah. Pinkerton and Booth, but yeah, Pinkerton. Um, and somebody pointed out how 
completely chauvinistic Pinkerton was. Yeah, I've seen. And I went stuff, back yeah. and, re- and and read it and read the lyrics like in response to this, and was kind of like, wow, this is really right on. And then it, it bears the question of like, is that autobiographical? Is it not taking the piss? But is he writing from the perspective of somebody like that? Um, that's a hard line to toe, you know, for for a writer. If you remember, I mean, that was when he had completely isolated himself. Uh, right. He had the leg surgery. It was on like serious painkillers or whatever. And yeah, who knows? Right. It could be any of that. It could be that he was sort of playing this persona or it could just be that like he really was like uh, the good life. Like, I'm tired of being alone. I want to get back out there and, you know, and get busy. You know, like that's like, fuck. <laughs> right. And so who who knows where again in 2020? Yeah, we could make uh, across the sea look pretty creepy, you know, um, but he was really the thing about that album of course is so personal and it was such a introspective thing that like if he had just made it wrote those songs recorded them and said you know what we're not going to release this let's move on to the green album you could see that you know like you could see someone doing that not wanting to release that and i think that's why they actually probably stayed away from it for so long not playing it live and stuff you know Mm -hmm. um so yeah so i definitely see what you're saying uh with this one I, I I really would hold me tight over this one, both the songs. These are not songs I really listen to the lyrics on, you know, honestly. And so mm-hmm. you bringing mm-hmm. that up is eye-opening. Later that year, 65, is when John's going to write, uh, what, Run For Your Run Life for your If life. You Can, uh, If I mm-hmm. Catch You With Another Man, That's The End, Little Girl. Uh, yeah. So I wonder, I wonder how much, like you said, if he's just trying to write a Lennon song, uh, you know, like the story of the doors where Robbie Krieger's just trying to write a Jim Morrison song and writes like my fire, you know? And mm-hmm. so if he's just trying to write a little song, cause that's, what's getting on the A sides of singles or that's what's selling on the radio. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Who knows what he's doing, but definitely in 2020, you're right. You're right. It doesn't sound like a George lyric at all. Um, and it is interesting to, to think of. Yeah. So. And you have to hope that like also, you know, the dude's 23 years old. I mean, he's, still forming his views and thoughts and and you know his moral compass on stuff and you have to hope that you know by the within a few years those you know those views change and you know even with john for all of his his numerous faults you you know one would have to hope that by the end of his life you know he's changed his mind on a lot of things and you know his actions and words have changed on things and he's you know i mean I mean, isn't that all of our hope is that we're better than the people that we were yesterday? Yeah. You know, isn't that our goal? So, like, you know, they're they're not here to defend themselves, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think that we can maybe see a bit of an arc in their lives. You know, how they, I don't know. What do you, you guys know more about <laughs> their life's journey than I do. Well, you know, George, not- George had the whole, what, rivalry with Clapton, right? For, for his wife? Yeah. Yeah, I don't Clapton know when was that in love was. with Patty Boyd. Yeah, it started late late sixties. Okay, so later. And uh, then I think she left him. She left George for Eric. I think in seventy four or seventy three. And George was very much just like, go for it. Right. Yeah. And like, and she like he had, he wasn't the most faithful throughout their relationship. Um, Wait. <laughs> are you telling are me? Are you telling me? <laughs> There's we a theme. This on, like, we do this on every podcast. There's a theme. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, she was aware of his infidelities, and she, I think Patty Boyd had hers as well. Um, it's different times, and people's relationships are their own business. 
But, you know, I think George's life, I think by the end of his life, and certainly well before then, I think he had done his best to try to put what he thought was the best sense, the best sense of himself and the best, best of intentions into the world and into the universe and into his art. Um, and fully understood that like he's a human being and human beings are infallible. Right. Um, they are not perfect. Uh, you know, the same guy who's writing, you know, my sweet Lord, you know, lives in a gigantic fucking castle, you know, right. like John Lennon Fair. singing, imagine no possessions has billions of dollars. Like, you know, right. man is not perfect. But if you have that position to put that out into the world, it's their responsibility. And I think they took that seriously. Um, so I have to hope that all of them have certainly grown as humans and understand that in their youthful years, they probably said and did some stupid stuff. Yeah, and, I mean, like uh, the Beastie Boys even came around yeah, and were like, example. guys, real sorry about that first record and those first few years. Like we were we were young idiots right. Right. you know we were young and stupid and you know that's that's where we were and we've grown and this is how we've grown and this is how we see the world today and this is you know how we've been better and we hope you can join us in being better and you know which i think is that's that's like a pretty cool thing to do like ad- admit that at some point you were wrong right yeah <laughs> well so along those lines too though i mean he imagine being george harrison in early 65 in the beatles where like john and paul are getting all the all the songs ringo's getting his share of the girls right i mean like who knows what what approach he's taking to try to get some girls maybe it's like hey look at me you know i'm, I'm a loser or whatever you know or whatever he's saying well mm-hmm. john actually has a song i'm a loser right Right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I mean, he's doing that too. You know. So who knows what kind of what kind of track they're taking? To to I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. You know, it's funny because when you think back to your early twenties or your late teens, you know, like yeah. your college years and just beyond, like as a guy, like how fucking dumb were we? <laughs> like, yeah. think about like the idiotic things that we said and did, and imagine putting those thoughts into songs that are going to be heard by the world for the rest of time. I'm so like, fortunate that I mostly write third person. That's just, you know, I was an English major. I teach English. Most of my songs mm. are third person. And, and I feel so <laughs> lucky that like everything I say in songs is like clearly this character for the most part. You know, there are a couple of right. songs that I've written about my wife or whatever. And, 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 and there, it's just very few though. It's like most of my songs are clearly like, Hey, look, this is this character. That's just like a short story I've written. So, but you're right. I mean, I couldn't imagine because like, you know, you're so stupid when you're that age. And so imagine right, being yeah. 23, like you said, trying to write a song, having all this money, all these girls, who knows what you're going to say. Yeah. Right. And surrounded by like probably a ton of people that are not telling you no. <laughs> right. right. You know, like I, I can't, I would imagine that they were probably surrounded by like lots of yes people. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just sure. like, I don't know. I mean, they had a, they had a, they kept a small circle. But that circle was very protective of them. Mm-hmm. And often I think that turns into not saying no mm-hmm. uh, and turning a blind eye. Mm-hmm. You know, like we talked about in the episode. Um, oh, is it the Mr. Moonlight episode, maybe where they go back to Germany for the first time? I forget what episode it was. I'll oh. cut that. But I we talked was, about in a previous episode how the German know, songs. Yeah, I guess it was on the on that one. Um, you know, they didn't go back to Germany between, you know, the very end of 1962. They didn't go back until 1966. And kind of the rumor behind that is that they had to pay somebody off who had a paternity claim outstanding against Paul. Um, Gotcha. You know, those, 
youthful indiscretions just you know there was no i i think by that point nobody wanted to keep the train from from rolling so just you know pay people off that need to be paid off let people do their thing over here mm-hmm. you know no harm no foul see no evil hear no evil speak no evil yeah um have you seen that uh, good old Frida, the documentary? Yes. So that was really cool. Yeah. So it's the part where she, she talked cause she was one of the girls. Right. And mm-hmm. so the part I remember she was talking about, like, you know, Paul might say hi to me and then I'd be in love with him that day. And then George would give me a ride home and I'd be in love with George that day. So like, <laughs> who knows, you know, who knows what, what they're going through with these girls and, and all of them. So many of them, you're right. Yeah. So. And, in, and in, in a time that was so drastically different than what it is in 2020, right. You know, different, different views on sex, different views on power structure. Like it's a whole different time that like being the age that we are, you know, we don't know what, what that life was like. And the people that did certainly aren't talking about it because yeah. uh, Lord knows how many skeletons they have to keep in their closet, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> or they've, you know, spent their lives not talking about it, you know, like that, that wasn't a thing to talk about. Yeah. Like that, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So interesting. 217, I, you like me too much? Michael, you, you, do you agree? Out, you brought up oh, the, yeah. uh, the mamas and papas, right? That that sounds like if they didn't do drugs. This Remember, this is – the mamas and papas are probably on the beach somewhere dreaming about starting that band, right? Yeah. So true. so we do have to take into account that this is a year before we're going to hear anything from them. And so the, yeah. I, I do like that. I do like that comparison. But again – George is setting trends for bands like that, you know, even, even with his bad songs, he's, he's, you know, he's, he, they're, they're hoping that they can get to that point still. So, right. so that's pretty cool. One thing I did, you're better at this stuff than I am. You, you're in tribute bands and cover oh, bands. Shucks. I rarely play cover. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, oh my goodness. Wikipedia calls, and, and I just kind of got on my guitar and I was playing through it. Uh, there's a B minor, I think, right? Wikipedia says it's a B flat. Did you see that? I did see that. And that's I, not right, I, right? Don't know that I catch that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's Wikipedia, so it could be. Right. But um, somebody had to, at some point, kind of know what they were talking about to even think of adding that, right? Yeah. I, I remember reading that, and it was like, I'm not a trained musician. Like, gotcha. at least as far as, as guitar goes, I'm very self taught. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there were some big words I didn't understand, and I moved on. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, so it starts on the minor two, which is cool. And I didn't go back through the catalog. I can't imagine many Beatles songs were, were starting the first verse on a minor two, right? The A minor. No, I don't. Um, I don't think so. So you know, I think George was trying, and then um, so then it stays in G pretty much. But it's but that B minor is is pretty cool. And again, I was just kind of playing through the song in my the head. Mel- the, 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 the the melodically, I think it's an interesting track. Like if yeah. you strip away the vocal, because I mean the vocal is just four notes for the right. most part exactly. in right. the verse. Um, it's interesting. I think like, I think the, the, I think Lennon's organ certainly makes it more interesting than it probably is. Um, the way he's kind of moving through the chords, I think is really neat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's some interesting stuff going on that they certainly kind of moved past and didn't really return to. And I think that's one of the interesting things with their catalog on the whole is there's so many times you can go, well, I don't, there's no other song that sounds like this in that catalog. Right. Like even just as, as a chord progression. 
Yeah. Really not and of course, I want to point out saying. here that people may not notice, and, and again, I just know because I've read so many books. So you have uh, McCartney and, and Martin both on the uh, Steinway at the same time, just on different mm -hmm. octaves. So that right. that has a cool sound too. And I don't even know if they're playing the exact same chords because like there's sometimes where like I think there's like a, a B minor seven to the D seven that I don't think they're both playing. And maybe that's why the Wikipedia person's like that sounds like a B flat. Because I, yeah. I think that I think they might be adding one might be adding a seven where one's not. Um, again. Yeah, and, and whoever wrote that entry could have pulled it out of the uh, whoever what's the the complete scores book you know like the real thick one. Oh uh, yeah right that, yeah. it's like Hal Leonard I think yeah. but there there's inconsistencies in that book that are just wildly wrong gotcha so, yeah, I've found like through rehearsals with the Beatles tribute band I play with where like there'll be something that goes to an F but it's definitely not an F you right. know it'll be like a G you're like well how'd you get that wrong you know so yeah nobody knows for sure right but it's all a mystery <laughs> i was just making sure i wasn't i, wasn't <laughs> I love it so at, at 217 where did you have it oh i had it at 145 145 okay okay I would way, like to way higher than you song. again <laughs> i would like to place this song in the dumpster <laughs> <laughs> Throw it in the trash. So uh, just to it. give it some context, I got what goes on right above it. And right after it, uh, you really got a hold on me. So, Oh, how could you put oh, your, okay, wow. I love you really got a hold on me. I am such a sucker for them doing old R&B covers. Like, I shouldn't say old because they're not old at that point. Right. But, <laughs> but there's so many of them like, that I guess I just so had many, trouble. Yeah, I just had trouble. And like, yeah. As a vocalist, like Lennon just nails those tracks yeah. every single time. Like, yeah, you're right. In an alternate universe, he would have been like the first white R and B, you know, star. Sure. Like that dude's voice on those songs. Would he so be like good. today's Justin Timberlake? Well, I guess maybe not today's Justin Timberlake. Ooh. Maybe like the '90s Justin Timberlake. <laughs> or no, he was like still in NSYNC. When did he go solo? Yeah, like... 2001, 2002, I think. Because they yeah. put out the. One the album around two thousand, I think. So the two thousand with the strings. <laughs> I guess I don't know. I'm bad at time. <laughs> yeah, me too. No, because also like Lennon was really quick to give all of them. The Beatles were quick to give props and call out their admiration and respect and appreciation for black musicians, and you know take them out on tour with them and like say how. You know, we've only gotten to be the artists we are because we studied all this amazing material. Right. Um, right. Whereas Justin was just like, I sound just like Michael Jackson. Look at me. <laughs> but, well, Mike, let's do uh, let's do some rapid fires if you if you want to do that, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up for the day. How's that sound? Yes. Yeah, sure. uh, one more thing. Uh, you know, this oh, one yeah. was not in the Help film, right? No, no, it was. Okay. So I it guess was, the first time was I got to help up. record was at uh, Record Rons. Do you ever, do you ever go to Record Rons? Yes. Yeah. So, rest in peace, Record Rons. Yeah. So I guess it. Uh, I think it just had the film score on side B. And so I think yeah. this wasn't on my first help album. So it was one that I had to discover later. So, yeah. 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 No, I, that's one of the things that's always fun is like I keep to, like I used to own the American versions of A Hard Day's Night and Help. Yeah. But I just never listened to that second side. And it's like, well, why am I going to just listen to these five songs? when I can listen to the whole full UK version. Right. Oh man. Record Ron's that store was great. Oh yeah. I loved it. No, I'm sad about that place. <laughs> All right. Mike Patton rapid fire. Here we go. Okay. Favorite Beatles song, which I guess this will be the number one on your list. Yeah. I think, yeah, I should be consistent. I put, uh, she loves you. <laughs> she loves you. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, least favorite. 
<laughs> well, I think that you and I agree. Oh, no, actually, I put wild honey pie at the bottom. Okay, interesting. There are people, uh, if, if this is the first time you've listened to this podcast, I initially started posting these as a daily thing on my Facebook page. Um, I only did the first, like, 23. Right. Um, but there were people who were like, how have you done 23 <laughs> and not had wild honey pie? Good question. You're a friggin' monster. <laughs> so That's it's fun. coming later in the podcast. All right. Um, Okay. Okay. Wild Honey Pie. Okay. Uh, favorite Beatles album? Uh, that's tough. I usually just say um, uh, Revolver. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Love it. Least favorite? The one you never go for? Probably Beatles for you... Sale, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. It changed, you know. And favorite memory associated with a Beatles song? I think this is one of the great, one of my favorite questions to ask on this podcast. Wow. I. I... I don't know. Uh, there's so many. So probably, uh, well, I guess probably just with my daughter, uh, when she learned, when she was first starting to learn how to talk and she was learning the words to hello, goodbye. And just, mm-hmm. I think I've got a recording of it somewhere. Uh, and it's just me kind of singing it with her. I think I'm playing the guitar and, uh, and she just can, you only know what it is because I'm singing the song, you know, but you can hear her kind of giving out that hello, hello. You know, mm-hmm. so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that I haven't really thought of it. You say, I say, you say, and I say, That's really sweet. That's I love that. That's such a good memory. I'll see what I can find. I've got, I know we got some eight days a week somewhere, and and again, she's one or two. So I love it. How old is your daughter now? She's eleven. Uh, and how, how old was she on that episode? She was nine. That was two years ago. Yeah. That's pretty rad to be nine and have like really great taste already. <laughs> like you're you're doing something right, right over there. Dude. <laughs> so what do you have going on these days? Anything you would like to plug? Any releases out? Any music out you want to talk we, about uh, you know we just did uh that fountains of wayne tribute that you and i did together um so that was fun that's at the radiant radish Bandcamp. so just radiantradish.bandcamp.com vista blue is always recording stuff we since 2015 i think we've released like 40 digital releases plus some vinyl you guys yeah and so we, we're always doing something but the main thing we just finished is uh a, a full length by our christmas band called ralphie's red riders all the songs are Christmas story, and uh, we just finished mixing it, and that's going to be out on Black Friday on uh, Out Loud Records uh, in California on CD. So uh, we're trying to get a cassette going too. So um, yeah, that's that's what we've been doing the last month is just recording a bunch of songs about a Christmas story, and uh, we're actually going to start. Um, we're doing a few songs in the studio. Well, the drummer's going to the studio um, to do some drums. We're doing like a vinyl comp. Another, it's a Christmas thing. We're doing a way in a major for this vinyl comp, and then. Um, just a new Vista Blue EP, so we're always doing something. I love it. I love it. And where can listeners hear the Radiant Radish? So, oh, uh, the radio, radio show, show is radiantradish.podomatic.com. That's where we put the archives. So, uh, Saturday nights on Radio Free Nashville, nine o'clock central. Uh, you can listen through the app, and that's where it's like live. And then uh, I put the arch- like I just put the archive up this morning from last night's show. Beautiful. It's a super fun show, y'all. We listened to it last weekend while we were having breakfast. Because we make breakfast together every Sunday because we don't right. go anywhere because 
Um, and I kept looking at Jonathan every time a song would come on. It was just like Oasis and then Big Star. And it was just like everything was like extremely awesome. his shit. <laughs> and I was like, this is someone just like playing the songs in your brain. What is happening right now? This is bananas. <laughs> well, Mike, thank you so much, man. This has been a, uh, yeah, a ball talking to you. Um, You've enjoyed it. I hope yeah, you come back and do it again because uh, I've got several hundred more yeah. of these. I do. I do. I wanted to ask you also, um, you guys did that, uh, the cover of the cold yep. song, three chord city. How did you come across that? What's your connection? Oh, I just really just hit this peak probably about this part, like five years ago where I was just getting into like the limit and the red rockers and, and all those bands, you know, and, and I missed out on, I mean, we started, I don't know when you started, I guess we started about 98, I guess. When did you start playing? Uh, Probably 97, 98. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, so I mean, so we missed out on this whole period. You know, like if we had been at Dixie Tavern in, in 80 or 81, you know, right. you know, you know, we would have seen all this great stuff. And so uh, just on YouTube, I just started getting into it all. Uh, I had become friends with Vance on Facebook, I think just through Paul. Mm-hmm. I think we had just done some like Saints chat and stuff. And uh, we had this song called uh, Betsy Took My Baby Away. Uh, it's like set in 65 on the night that Hurricane Betsy hits. And uh, I had sent it over to Vance and he had some really nice things to say about it. We did a cowboy mouth cover, my little blue one. Mm-hmm. And again, Vance just had some really nice things to say about that. So Vance and I had just been talking and um, I told him, I said, we're going into the studio. We'd really like to do a cold song, you know, and, and just to kind of pay tribute to you guys. And uh, he got me in touch with Kevin from the cold. I talked to Kevin on the phone and uh, we had to work out the rights, you know, and just make sure that, that we could do this and not get anyone in trouble right. uh, and release a final. And so we, we just did it. They've been so nice. Bert, all those guys from the band have just been so nice and promoting it for us and sharing it. Nice. And, and uh, we had decided to do it before I realized they were going to be named to the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And so that all kind of happened. And then, right, that same song was put in that offbeat book of like the best 300 songs for New Orleans right. ever. Right. So it's like it all kind of happened at that point. Yeah. And so, uh, we, like I said, we brought Richard into the studio and he did the solo and he kind of switched up the second half of the solo and we loved it. And, uh, and, and you know, we we're kind of wondering what they, they loved it. They loved how he kind of took the solo and made it his own and we kind of changed the end we called it like a queers you know the band mm-hmm. of queers that we love like a queers ending and uh and so yeah i mean we just we had a lot of fun with nice it, so. all right man well yeah. mike this has been a blast man thank you so much for joining us today i hope you'll do it again with us yeah thanks for having me anytime excellent my friend well thank you so much and uh, we'll holler at you soon kill it thanks mike thanks dude see you guys later thank Adios. you mike Patton. everybody that was fun that was fun it's great to get to talk to him yeah yeah it's funny, we got in touch on Facebook um, only like God, maybe just a few months ago, like earlier this year, um, and then like kind of figured out that we had played together years ago, um, like our two old bands had played together. A show. Yeah, a show, yeah. Um, and probably, you know, being young and standoffish and awkward, probably didn't even talk to each other. And now I'm like, man, we you should have been friends like a, for years. Hey, dude, what's up? What's up, dude? Uh, can, you, can we use your kit? <laughs> Use your base amp. <laughs> you guys have extra picks. Like, <laughs> extra picks. You guys have some paper for our mailing list. Like one of those kind of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, dude's got great taste in music. All the stuff I like. Yeah. So, yeah, I love it. Well, man, I'm I'm glad we got to to dive in. You know, it's funny you mentioned how you are glad that you're doing this podcast because you're learning all these songs you never knew. I'm glad you're doing it because you're bringing perspective. I couldn't quite put my finger on to the table. I feel like I really took over the conversation. That's okay. Um, You like me too much. (laughs) That's why you are the co-host. Yeah. You are, you are 
co-hosting this. Yes. But um, no, that's good. And there are there are definite spots in this um catalog that need to be addressed. I think in 2020 you know, with with a current train of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and not looking. I'm not looking to like be the instigator of any kind of like cancel culture or anything like that. But I think there are things that just need to be like looked at and addressed and seen as what they are, which is talk about it. Like, uh, you know, seeking perspective from other people is never a bad thing. No, not at all. You know, at least just hearing them out. And because obviously like the way I heard this song was very different from, I wouldn't say very different, but different from the way you heard the song and different from the way Mike heard it, you know, and honestly on my first listen, it was a peppy little tune and you know, it sounded fun. And it wasn't until my second listen where I wasn't doing anything else and really paid attention to the lyrics that I had such a reaction to it. So I, I mean, yeah, you can hide a lot behind a, yeah. a peppy little beat. You sure can. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So that was very interesting to discover. But yeah, it's it's always good to have different perspectives on things, especially things that you love, because sometimes we tend to not see overlook. Our, yeah, overlook their flaws, and um, yeah, that's how we grow as people. Well, well done. This has been an informative episode, a thought-provoking episode. I hope you guys have enjoyed it as well. I hope it has provoked thoughts in you as well. Um, do you have thoughts? Share them with us. Shoot us an email at rankingthebeatles at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook and Instagram at rankingthebeatles. Send us a message. Let us know what you think, if you like it. If you don't like it, let us know. Let's engage in some, some debate, some dialogue. I think it's it's fun. It's it's worth doing these days. Um, well, that's all I got for today. Any closing words of wisdom, my dear? Good? Yeah. Awesome. Well, we will see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. If this is your first episode, we hope you've enjoyed it. Please hit that subscribe button. Tell a friend. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. My name is Jonathan. I'm Julia. And this has been Ranking the Beatles. <laughs>